All right, good morning once again. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 23, where we're going to pick up at verse 12. We've left off in the middle of quite a dramatic incident, a long story. Paul the Apostle is now imprisoned and shall remain so for the remaining chapters uh, here in the book of Acts. And so we're going to pick up that story after we ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your spirit who's here with us, God Emmanuel, God with us. And we ask now for you to open the eyes of our hearts and speak to us in ways we can understand so that we can know the truth and and put it into practice and be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. Well, one might think that one of the safest places in the whole wide world uh, is protective custody in a well-guarded, high-security prison. Um, However, uh, such is not the case. Now, just yesterday, I was reading about a story in a prison in England, in Lincoln, England. I'm going to picture of that for you. Lincoln, England is a cathedral city with this building here. You would think you'd be pretty safe in that castle. Amen? Well, uh, as I said yesterday, a riot broke out that lasted eight hours at this prison facility. Uh, an, an inmate got a hold of the guard's keys and un, 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 opened up uh, 150 cell blocks. And three officers were injured and 24 inmates were hospitalized and one man was killed. Now, in spite of the iron bars and the secured locks and the armed guards, prisons can be a dangerous place. Now, we're going to see that lived out before our very eyes this morning in our text here in chapter 23, here at not the Lincoln prison, but the Antonia Fortress. And so uh, Paul is imprisoned here. If you're looking at the screens, you will see a model version of what the Antonia Fortress that um, once Jesus stood and was held uh, captive there as well. If you see um, the colonnades to the left, you will see that that is Solomon's temple. And so the, the fortress is where Pilate, the Roman governors uh, who occupied Israel and Jerusalem, uh, uh, were stationed. It's a military outpost for Rome. And Paul, the prisoner, is now um, in there, in the fortress, uh, guarded. And so we've been seeing now that uh, he's under lock and key, but, and you would think he's safe, right? I mean, he's had a pretty hard week, right? He's had three attempts on his life in one week. And now number four is coming. And so everything, just to give you some context, in case you weren't here last week or the week before, everything Paul's tried to do now that he's arrived in Jerusalem has basically really blown up in his face Uh, First, he tries to pacify the Jewish Christians who remember that by worshiping and taking a vow in the temple, uh, that turned into a riot. And then once the riot quieted down, uh, he tries to share his testimony uh, with that mob, but that ended in a murderous rumble where they tried to tear him to pieces. 
The next day at the Supreme Court, the Jewish High Court, he tries to make a defense. Uh, The courtroom erupts in a violent, uh, chaotic scene where they are tearing him quite literally from uh, limb from limb. And so now he's been rescued from that courtroom scene, as we saw last week, and he's been tossed back into his cell, and just when he needs it most there in the night, the Lord appears to him. And we talked about that last week, God Emmanuel, the God who is with us in our times of need. And he encouraged him, and Jesus spoke to him, and said, hey, you've testified well here of me in Jerusalem, so too you will do the same thing in Rome. So take heart, be encouraged. And so Paul will need to lean on those words uh, sooner than later uh, because there's a secret plot now uh, brewing to get him out of that cell and down those steps and 40 crazed religious zealots are waiting to kill him. And so... The night is fading fast. I'm sure there in the cell, Paul is just marveling, taking it all in, a visitor in the night, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now the sun is coming up. It's a new day, verse 12. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you in the Sanhedrin, petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he even gets here. So, if you're taking notes, number one, the plot devised. A plot devised. Conspiracy to commit murder. Now, they, these unbelieving Jews, are, are they, quite frankly, they're mad, right? I mean, they had him in their very hands. And, and your text from last week said uh, the Romans had to intervene and pry him from their hands. I mean, they were so close to getting at reaching their goal of of executing this man who has been such a thorn in their sides. And so they're not very happy. He escaped their grasp. Uh, He slipped through their fingers. And the serious haters of Paul are not going to just leave this to the Roman judicial system. That's moving too slow for them. And they're really mad. And so they are going to conspire a plan to murder him. Now, uh, besides, they're smart enough to know that Paul's going to walk. If they leave this to the justice system, Paul's going to walk. There's no crime in just being an an obnoxious Christian. (laughs) It's not illegal, right? Uh, And that's what they're really charging him with. Uh, He's charged with uh, really becoming born again, coming into the truth, and sharing that truth with others. So there's no crime against that, and that's what the scriptures are always going to verify and validate, that, that Christianity is not a crime. 
that it is a good thing. And so um, there you, you have them. Uh, they know there's no case. There's no charges that are going to stand up. And in fact, if you cheat and go down to verse 27, we already know what the commander is thinking because he's going to write a letter. He sends Paul off saying, no charges against Paul deserve death or imprisonment. So these haters, these murderers, these thugs, right? Legal action is not going to work. So how about illegal actions like lying and murdering? Oh, now we're talking. So they're mad. Paul's escaped. Now they're determined. Your text says a group of them. It says more than 40. 40 of them. Middle Eastern religious uh, zealot assassin would-bes. They bind themselves together under an oath. Now the word in English for oath really does nothing for the Greek um, original meaning of the word there. Really, the passion there is not clearly seen. Now, literally, in Greek, it says that these 40 guys anathematized themselves with an anathema. Now, the word anathema in English, meaning curse, comes from the Greek word anathema. (laughs) So that's an easy one. All right. And so, unfortunately, it's the same kind of thing that uh, Peter fell into when he was pressed that third time at that fire while Jesus was uh, undergoing his trial. Do you know that man? And third time, he calls down an anathema. He says, I swear to God, I don't know that man. May God kill me if I'm lying. That's the kind of thing that's going on. But praise God, he's filled with the Holy Spirit uh, 50 days later, and he's a new man, and he's a preacher who preaches boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, so they're saying, uh, may God kill us all if we do not accomplish this task of shedding his blood. And so there, this is some unparalleled rage and determination. Not a morsel of bread will go in my mouth, not a drop of water until I shed his blood. Forty of them now taking that oath. Now, it doesn't take very long for 40 grown men masterminding a murder to get hungry or thirsty. Uh, So this is going to go down, and it's going to go down fast if they have anything to do with it. You know, I, I guess I've written down here, it must work, it must, you must work up a, a tremendous appetite trying to kill someone. Uh, and so it's going to happen, and it's going to happen fast. So you may be thinking to yourself, what on earth has the Apostle Paul done to generate this kind of hate? Three times moms have tried to kill him in tremendous rage. This is the fourth time. What would motivate 40 grown men to say, I will not drink water, I will not eat food until that guy is dead? What's the charge? Aren't you thinking that? What what has he done? What has he done? Did, Did he assassinate a beloved leader in cold blood? Uh, Did he commit a crime so heinous that they're saying, we're going to fast until he's dead? I I mean, seriously, did he kidnap a child? Did he torch a 
city? Did he light a village on fire? Did he abuse a woman? No, you know what he's done? To generate all of that murderous rage, he became a Christian. He got born again. He was minding his own business, going down the Damascus Road to kill people like us, and God just changed his heart. He found out the truth, and he wants to spread the word. I'm going to heaven. Jesus forgives me of all my sins. I want you guys to come too. There's a God in heaven, and he loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. All of your sins put on his back. And by his stripes and punishment, you have peace with God. And he'll give you a new life. He'll resurrect uh, his, your own spirit in there that you will walk with him and know the love of God. That's his crime. He preaches love and peace and the grace of God. He lives with a clear conscience, always striving to do the right thing. He's a role model for loving people and doing good deeds and making peace. He's, he's got Christian character. Is that why they want to kill him? Humility, patience, kindness. Uh, is it something he teaches? He teaches pay your taxes. Well, maybe that could be part of it. Pay your taxes. Respect authority. Pray for your leaders. He's kind and he's good. He tells the truth. He's generous. He's a hard worker. He's dedicated. He doesn't want anybody to perish and miss out. He wants them to enjoy the same love and freedom and healing that he's experienced in his own heart. Jesus summed it up this way. Look, John chapter 3 and verse 19. Here's the verdict, Son of God speaking. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. He saw the light. And now he's shining the light in a world that's very inhospitable in an environment that doesn't appreciate having the lights go on like that when they, according to Jesus, love the darkness. They don't want to come out of the darkness. So you're going, hey, look what happened to me. And you've got the flashlight, you know, and you're shining it in their face and they're saying, go away, go away. Are we going to kill you, right? In some cases, go away or we will kill you. That's the crime. Being a Christian. Their words, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Think about it. The kind of man Paul is. Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. They said about Jesus. Good in a human body, incarnate. God, almighty, rid the earth of him. Same words, he's not fit to live. The world doesn't want to hear about the truth, the goodness of God, or the light because they prefer living in sin. That's the Bible's estimation of it. I was at, in a cafeteria of a college that I was attending, a secular school in Santa Cruz. It's actually in Aptos. It's called Cabrillo College. I was taking care of some general ed. I'm in the cafeteria, and I've got an open Bible in front of me, and I'm just enjoying some time reading the Bible. There's a guy just sitting there stewing about something across from me. And I realize he's, he's upset about something, but I haven't said a word to him, which was a miracle. <laughs> Don't say amen there. Unbelievable. Mike. He gets up. He looks at me, 
I look up because I sense he's in my airspace. And he takes his fist and he rears it back and he says, you in that Bible. Do I know you? <laughs> Have we met? You in that Bible that reminds me of my guilt. You in that Bible that tells me I'm wrong. You in that Bible that says I just can't live any way I want. You in that Bible who convicts me of being a sinner. You in that Bible that says I need to bow my knee and repent to God and serve him instead of myself and my idols. You in that Bible, right? He didn't say any of that, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just telling you what he meant by you in that Bible. Because I hadn't said anything, but apparently the Bible had gotten through to him. He knows what's in the Bible and he wants to kill it. Why not just, why is it the Bible? You, I, there could be prayer rugs to, to some other deity. You could be uh, daviding in the hallways. You could be saying, hey, brother, open your third eye. I'm God, you're God, we're all God. Pray to the trees, man. Nobody cares. <laughs> you can have any religion in the whole wide world, but you open the Bible and the fists start flying. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because it's the truth. It's the truth. It goes down into the heart, and the soul knows it's the truth. And the soul says, yeah, God, you want to fight? <laughs> now, I don't recommend fighting with the Lord, because you're going to lose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we all do that kind of thing. Once and for all, let's clear it up. Jesus just has a passage in John 15 on the 90s betrayed. He's around the Last Supper. Here we go. This will just settle it. So you stop taking it all so personally. If the world hates you, could you keep in mind that it hated me first? Not about you. There are problems with me. If, they, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If I had, done, uh, if I had not done among them what no one else did, then they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they have seen the miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father but this is to fulfill what is written in their law, Psalm 69, verse 4. They hated me without reason. There it is. The hostility toward Paul, the hostility toward Jesus, the hostility toward the book, the hostility to the gospel, the hostility to any follower of Jesus Christ is not based in reality. There's no foundation for it at all. It fulfills the prophecy that hate is without cause. There's no good cause for it. Now, last Sunday, you'll recall that a hand went up at the altar call. And it was a, it, and it was a definitive hand. It was an eye contact to me and a hand like, that's me, all right? Her name's Vanessa, and she got saved. She got saved, saved. You know, when you meet people who, let's applaud that. All right, yeah. Oh. Now, 
There are times you meet people, they're really close, right? But the coin hasn't dropped yet, all right? Uh, or, or the coin has already dropped and they're just now realizing it, right? That's nice. But it is so wonderful when you're right there and you hear the coin go, and they get it, she's just overflowing. We went out to lunch with a whole bunch of us. And she's like, tell me your testimony. Oh, it's just like mine. It's not, but it is, right? Because we all share the same thing. We're going around. She's asking all these questions. She goes, I don't want to leave. I just sit in the church and I go, oh, I don't want to leave. I, I, I'm with the family. They get me. I get them. I get God. And, and then she says, I don't want to leave the lunch because we're getting ready to leave. She says, this decision, what's happened to me, is not going to be well received by anybody I know. <laughs> I'm going to go home. I don't want to go home because I, I, well, uh, and my best friends are, there's just no way they don't, and my parents and, and my, everybody, they're going to, it's not going to be pretty. And we all were there. <laughs> yeah. No, it isn't. Welcome. Welcome, Vanessa. Welcome. Jesus said, look what they did to me. So you expect them to throw a party for you? If they, they crucified me, and you're all about me, and you're teaching the same kind of stuff I taught, which you're supposed to be, and you're shining the way I shine, the way Paul shined, Jesus said this, woe to you when men speak so well of you then the world just applauds at everything that comes out of your mouth and you're well received because that's a bad sign that you fit in. What the Bible is saying is that Paul here and the followers of Christ are walking in a different direction. We were all walking down the road that leads to destruction. And then God, for whatever reason, he says, I chose you before the foundations of the world. And he comes to believers and he goes, you, turn. You turn, you're mine. And then we turn and we start walking against the current, against the flow to a different sound from a different place. And they say, we don't appreciate that. And we're just saying, well, turn with us. Turn with us, come on, this way. And everybody's passing down the road that leads to destruction. But Jesus said this, narrow is the road that leads to life and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go that way. And so that's just our lot. It's our lot. There's no fixing it. Don't try to fix it or you're gonna fall away from Christ. You cannot fix that. You can be as kind and gentle and wise and diplomatic as you possibly can be, led by the spirit and very prayerful in your Christian coming out, right? But you can't fix the reaction because it goes much deeper than you. It's about some spiritual realities, amen? amen. It comes down to this. There's a devil, the, words, the word adversary, Satan, means enemy. It comes down to a spiritual enemy that takes advantage of sinful hearts. So you put those two together and you've got the murderer who Jesus called a murderer, John 10, 10. He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We've got demonic influence in a world 
where men love darkness and if they reject Christ, they are open to influences like this 40 plus mob. Kill him because he's dangerous. He writes books and people love him. <laughs> Paul the Apostle of the New Testament. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's the book people love. All right, moving on. So that explains it. Here's a quote. All hostility against Christians because of the message is because of the message they bear and the life they live. It's the result of spiritual wickedness and sinful hearts uh, that brings the hostility. So they're mad. They're determined for no good reason, uh, but they put their plan into motion. All right. So here we go. The plot thickens in verse 14. Like, like most thugs, they, they go in for this group thinking. Uh, they think that there's safety in numbers, you know. Hey, listen, we all want them dead, right? So let's band together the 40 of us. They'll never know. There, there won't be one single person individually accountable for taking the guy's life because they're going to ask, well, who killed him? Who's the mob? Well, which one did, it, did, it, did him in? Oh, who's to say? They all kind of did it. Oh, very smart. And so we're going to run with the pack here. So the 40-plus assassins, they go to the, the, the Sadducees. They go to the chief priests. So by the way, the Sadducees are the f- chief priests, not the Pharisees. And the Sadducees held the majority in the Sanhedrin. So they go to the guys who don't like Paul the most. The Pharisees sided with Paul, not because they liked Paul, but because they hated the Sadducees. And so last week we saw that. But they're going to just cast their vote right along anyway. So, so can you imagine how corrupt this Jewish high court is that, that a bunch of thugs could go in and say, hey, court, your honor, we'd like you to help us kill an innocent man. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. That's pretty corrupt. They represent the Lord, the Sanhedrin. Wow. Not much has changed in 30 years when Judas, when Judas went to the same room, to the same people now three decades have passed, so some faces have changed, come and gone. Same place, same ruling body, same room. And what does Judas say there to these corrupt men who have seen the miracles of God in a human body, have heard the voice of the living God who, who, who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. They heard him. And Judas says, what will you give me if I help you to find him, if I help you by turning him in? And they say, huh, five grand, 30 pieces of silver. And he says, done. This is the same group that, that when, when the angel appears at the tomb and the stone is rolled away and the guards put in place by these same men come back and say, uh, boss, you, uh, an angel appeared. We fell at his feet as though dead men, dead men and the body's gone. But we saw an angel. They said, you need to be quiet. These guys, the spiritual leaders of Israel, you guys need to be quiet about that. Why didn't you repent? 
why don't you change course? The guys you hired to guard the garden tomb are coming back to you and saying, the stones rolled away, we saw an angel, we fell like dead men, and you don't repent. Instead, you say, we'll give you a, quote, large sum of money. And if you get in trouble with your commander, we'll cover you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Because that kind of sick corruption is still running rampant everywhere in this world. And when the king comes, the rightful king, he will sit upon a throne and he will judge in righteousness and in truth. And none of those shenanigans will ever be even entering into our minds, the Bible says. So praise God for that. So here's the pitch to the bad guys. Uh, Your honor, your honors. We're going to kill this guy, Paul, once and for all, 40 of us fasting on oath until we get it done. We'll do the dirty work, but um, here's what we need from you. He's in that cell. We need access to him, especially one part of him. We really need to get to him. That's where you guys come in. Now, send a request to the commander and pretend Oh, you just simply want more information about this complicated case. And he will release Paul. We are armed. We are ready. We are lurking in the shadows of the courtyard. Before he even gets here, we're going to ambush him. He won't stand a chance. The guards will never know who actually killed him. You'll be happy. We'll be happy. And there'll be one less mouthy Christian in the world. And they all said, amen. That's how it went down, and a wicked grin spread like gangrene from face to face. So they devise a plot now, verses 16 through 22. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. All right, so number one was plot devised. Number two is plot exposed. Now, this really, for me, emphasizes the beautiful way God works in in unseen ways in our lives. So this is wonderful providence behind the scenes. And so... Uh, While this ravenous pack of wolves are plotting the murder of Paul the Apostle, uh, it just so happens, (laughs) it just so happens that Paul's sister's boy, Paul's nephew, 
happens to be either present, he's present, he's close enough to hear. The verb actually in the Greek can mean present among or to be hearing. Of course, you're present when you hear, and so he hears them. Now, in, in a contemporary setting, I picture it this way, but the kingpins are at Starbucks. They've just ordered their lattes, all right? <laughs> And they're talking about how they're going to kill that rascal once and for all, you know. Oh, they can't be drinking the latte yet. Yeah, because they can't drink or eat. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So they're talking at the little round table, right? And the nephew is busting the tables right next door. And he thinks he hears Paul, and he thinks he hears it again. And he's listening, and he's busting, busting, busting. <laughs> he's busting the tables ever so slowly, and he's listening. Well, somehow or another, God gets this nephew, 12, 13, 14, to hear a murderous plot, the details. So he's close. So I imagine these people, these guys, they know he's sitting there. I can imagine the elbow. I can imagine the elbow that goes kind of, hey, it's a kid there. And the guy goes, he's just a boy. Who cares? You know, when passions arise, common sense dies, okay? And that's that they just don't care. So let him hear how tough we are. Little do they know that's Paul's nephew And he's going to rescue the day. He's going to stop them and foil their plot. Now, a tantalizing verse, isn't it? If you've been studying the Bible for any amount of time, we don't know anything about Paul's family. Really, all we know is what he just said a few days ago uh, when he said, hey, my father's a Pharisee. And we know his family is Roman are Roman citizens. And so it's a well-respected, kind of affluent, very Jewish family. Now, that's all we know, except now we know he has a sister who lives in Jerusalem with a son that is pro-Paul, because most commentators say when he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, I've lost everything for my uh, Christian walk, that he means he's been disinherited. He lost his wife. Pharisees have to uh, be married So he probably lost his wife, probably lost uh, family relationships, but who's the sister? And why is the nephew pro-Paul? Is she a believer? We don't know. Nobody knows anything, but it's so intriguing. It's like, Paul has a sister, and that's about all you get. (laughs) That's it. And so um, it just is so very interesting. Now, how is the boy close enough? How does God do things like this? He, He had to time it down in the perfect second, but... Nobody even knows that God is working a miracle in this little everyday thing. What did, what, what did his, his, Paul's sister, the boy's mom, say? Hey, hey, we're out of eggs. Will you go, go down and get me some eggs? So he happens to go by and he hears it. Or, or was he late for something and that's why? Or he decided one day, I'm, I'm going to go right instead of left. I'm going to take a new way home. God somehow works his providential care in ways none of us are aware, but God is at work doing just as big of a miracle as if he uh, healed a blind person. It's just as miraculous to get this kid there, but I can't wait to hear how he did it. You know, he's thinking, 
you know, hey, I, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to leave school, my classroom early today. And that's how it happens. God is so like that. You know, it's just really amazing. I have a quote about the providence of God by J. Vernon McGee, all right? (laughs) Providence is the means by which God directs all things, animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil, toward a worthy purpose, which means his will will finally prevail. Our God is running the universe today, friends. He always says, my friends, even though there are some who think that it slipped out from under him. Here's here's a quick version. God is controlling everything. Without violating free will. You've got free will. They've got free will. Everything's happening, and he is orchestrating it according to, I love this verse in Proverbs that says, In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. We have that up there for you. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I think you're going to be surprised when you get to heaven and find out all the, the, the biggest miracles in your life were the ones you didn't see. The ones that happen where you just thought you're running an errand or that you left your sunglasses at home and went back to get them, but God spared you from an accident that would have taken your life. You don't know that. You don't know any of this. How does God do these things? But that's how he works. I I was reading a devotional about those who survived the 911, 9-11, and how God used simple ordinary things. I told you this one time. Uh, The one that's so impressive is a guy bought a new pair of shoes the day before and he gave him a blister. So he woke up with a blister and he said, hey, I'm just going to stop and get a Band-Aid for my blister. And he went in and he had trouble finding the Band-Aids. He wanted to put it on there. Took him a little time. Uh, The line was really super, super long. It caused him to miss the subway but just by a few minutes, but he's alive today because he got a blister on his foot and, and he went and, 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 he, and he got a Band-Aid. There were people who missed flights that day. There were, were people who slept through their alarms. There were all kinds of things and, and God was totally at work. You know, he just does this stuff. Uh, Barb and I, on Barb's birthday, a few weeks ago, we went on a bike ride. And in the middle of it, we were out in the middle of nowhere on Fulton Road, and Barb got a flat tire. That's like, that's a long walk home, you know? And, and it's during the day on a Monday, you know, so it's hard to call somebody. They're working. And so I'm Googling around for a bike shop to make sure one's close enough to walk to and to make sure that they'll do a repair. So I get a, a number of a bike shop that's three miles I figure, oh, that's okay. We can walk there, right? So I'm calling. I can barely hear the guy. He says, hey, it's a bad connection. Let me call you back. I tell him the whole story. My wife, you know, we're out. We're riding our bikes. He's got a flat tire. It's like, what kind of bike is it? I'm like, I don't know. We bought it at Costco. You know, uh, what kind of tire is it? It's like a a rubber one, you know? (laughs) So he can tell I'm not really, you know, 
knowing what my stuff is. He goes, well, funny thing, I don't own the bike shop anymore. I'm retired. I have another business. Uh, I, car I clean carpets, but just for fun, you know. And so he says, listen, I'm going to come and help you. And I said, great, really? I don't have to walk it there? He goes, yeah, I've got time. So he comes out, and he's like, I mean, he's built bike frames that are famous, and, and he's been in bike industries, and he's been on covers of biking magazines. He's just really well-known. So here's the story that we find out later. He's a Christian. He calls his buddy, and he says, I just hung up with some guy. Doesn't know what, where he is or what happened to him. <laughs> And he thinks I own a bike shop. I don't know, but the Lord just put it on my heart to go help the guy. You know, I'm going to try to lead him to the Lord. Will you pray with me? <laughs> I got to pray. I, and he prays with his friend on the phone. And then he comes and he's waiting for a time to lead me to the Lord, right? <laughs> now, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, oh, Lord, how am I going to bless this guy, <laughs> right? I'm thinking... He's going to come and fix my bike and everything like that. He doesn't even have a bike shop anymore. Oh, man, what a nice guy. I'm certainly going to get a chance to lead him to the Lord. <laughs> so we're both waiting. We're both looking for opportunities. And then he says, well, you're out on a Monday. And I said, yeah, it's my day off. He says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes... <laughs> He goes, I was going to try to lead you to the Lord. I go, you're a little late. <laughs> I said, I was going to try to lead you to the Lord. He goes, you're way late. <laughs> uh, he's, he goes to a church around here that sounds kind of like a season of the year. Shall we say? Winter, summer, fall. Spring. Spring. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's, oh, just, just we prayed for each other was so wonderful. We can continue our bike ride. I said, hey, what do I owe you? He said, oh, well, $3 for the tube. And he's making fun of that. Like, like I'm going to take money. I, I made him take 20 bucks. But, you know, that would have, it was a disaster. It was our birthday. And God says, I got this guy over here. I got this guy over here. And, and, and I'm going to bring you guys together like that. On a mistake. It's a mistake. Google, he says, I don't even know how you got the number. You see, <laughs> that's how God works. Amen. And that is how Paul's nephew ends up sitting around 40 thugs talking about often his uncle. Right? That's how it happens. That's how God works. We just should just leave the details to God, and sleep well at night. God's on the throne, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future, to prosper you, looking out for your good. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, here's the big insight for me. You read over it. You did not see this because I didn't see it. It's in no books that I read about. But bam, love it. Here's Paul. He's got a promise from the lips of an hearing Jesus in his cell. You're going to Rome. Don't worry. I've predestined you. You're going to Rome. Relax. Nephew comes in. Uncle Paul, there's 40 guys outside. They're going to kill you. They're not going to eat until they murder you. Why doesn't Paul say, in faith, 
Hey, Junior, listen up. God Almighty just appeared to me. He told me, no worries. You're going to Rome. Oh, it doesn't matter if there's 40, 50, 60, 70 of them. Let them come. Let them try. God already said, I'm going to do nothing. He doesn't do nothing. He calls 911, and he uses the system that God has put into place to help in the time of that kind of trouble. But Christians often find that it is superior and more spiritual for us to do nothing. That faith means that you don't put faith in the centurion who has to go to the commander to spring the release and to make sure that this plot doesn't happen. You should just do nothing and just trust the Lord. Paul doesn't do it. And Paul's faith is strong. He says, I can still trust God and dial 911. I can still trust God if I'm sick and go to a physician in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, if you need to be bailed out, brother, you should get a lawyer in Jesus' name, trusting that God is working through the system and the people and the relationships and the wisdom and the skills and the gifts and the abilities that God has put at our disposal. It is not a lack of faith. Now, when I got a bone marrow transplant 11 years ago, there were Christians that just let go and let God. I was like, I'm going to UCSF in the name of Jesus because, it, it, because UCSF is really good. And who's behind all of that wisdom and technology? It's the Lord. So I had a bone marrow transplant and every single time, just about, when I saw that chemo going into my arm, I said out loud, and I remember sitting there saying, in the name of Jesus, take that. In the name of Jesus, cancer, take that. Because I'm not putting my trust in the best doctor that UCS have had for lymphoma, which I personally had. But unless the Lord blesses the best doctor at UCSF, then they labor in vain, right? So it's not that I just now, here's where we get into trouble. Oh, no worries. I've got UCSF. Right? Not thinking about the Lord. Oh, I got the best lawyer, or I got the best IRA. No, 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 no. If you want to retire, you need an IRA in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Paul picked up the phone, called 911, and it worked. But he did it with perfect faith in the Lord. Now, we need to move forward. The boy gets to the top dog, the commander. The commander sees that the kid is shaken, right? Why should the kid be shaken? Well, he's 13 years old talking to the commander in, in the, the fortress, and he's talking about something that should be a little upsetting. 40 guys are going to kill his uncle, and now somehow he's involved. He could end up dead, right? So the guy, look, what a tender eyewitness thing here. He takes him by the hand and leads him to a quiet corner. And he says, hey, listen, it's okay. Talk to me, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? What's going on? And he tells him, 
more than 40 guys of a pact. And they're not going to eat or drink until they kill my uncle. They're going to try to trick you into releasing him. And they're going to ambush him by surprise. Everything's in place. They're just waiting for your okay. Verse 21. 12-year-old talking to a commander. Don't you give in to him. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's a junior high kid. Is commanding the commander. Don't give in to them. And so now uh, the commander says, thank you for that, son. You can go your way. And then as he turns to go, he says, hey, psst. Don't tell anybody that you've spoken to me. Why? He's a military man. You gonna mess with me? Oh, game on, game on. You gonna try to kill somebody under my watch and put that on my resume? Oh, no, 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 no. So don't tell anybody because then they'll try again. I'm gonna outsmart them in their own tactics here. And so... Yeah, Claudius is his name. Claudius, the commander, springs into action. Let's finish up. Then he calls two of his centurions and orders them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 o'clock p.m. tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Then he writes a letter, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. How are you? I am fine. Verse 27. (laughs) This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him. That's not exactly how it happened, but we will talk about that. For I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him. So I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about Judaism, but uh, there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought them, brought him rather, as far as Antipatris. The next day, that's halfway. So at the halfway mark, the 400 soldiers go back to the fortress, the 70 take him in, the rest of the 30 miles. The next day, they left left the cavalry to uh, go on with him Uh, Those are the 70, while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry, I can never say that because the cavalry, (laughs) okay. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here, because it's a Roman province, so it's legal for him to hear that case of Paul's. Uh, then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Plot devised, plot exposed, and now plot averted. So Paul the prisoner, not safe in Jerusalem, wisely he's sent out of town. Uh, to protect his job, and uh, Claudius, that is, and to protect Paul 
for sure. Now, what I like about this is we see Rome's tax dollars at work spreading the gospel. All right, the Lord wants Paul to preach in Rome, probably to the emperor and to royalty and to kings along the way, but he's going to do that at Rome's expense. So very uh, ironic here. Uh, and had this not happened the way it did, Paul wouldn't be invited into such important influential circles. And so God is at work using the arrest uh, right according to his will. Um, the Lord also wants Paul to be in a nice quiet room where he can write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They are called the prison epistles, and those are the epistles that he writes during this jail time, all right? And so the Lord is at work, but you know what? <laughs> the coolest part is, is that Rome is funding it. The Philippians don't have to take another love offering and send it to him. We got this one, and you're gonna travel in style, and boy, does he ever. So it's 60 miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea, right? And he's got 200 soldiers, heavily armed, two centurions, 70 horsemen, so 70 horses. We've got 200 spearmen. So here's the picture. Paul's in the middle. And he's surrounded by 70 horsemen. They're surrounded by 200 men with spears. Now, the Greek says, graspers of the right hand. That's what a, meaning they're really good with the javelin with the right hand. All right, so we've got them. Around them, another 200 men with helmets and shields. So Paul's in the middle, probably kicking back. <laughs> He's sipping some iced tea, I don't know. But he, I don't know, I, okay, the gates are closed. They only open for the commander. It's nighttime. The gates open up, they let them out and then the gates closed, nobody can follow. But you know what? If these 40 guys were ready and waiting, they're around, and so I'm sorry, this is how I picture it. Okay, here are the guys, the gates are opening up, they're like, what's going on there? What, is that Paul? He's, what? He's in the middle of set, 200, four, there's 400, and they're gonna pass right by those thugs, right? The gates are gonna open, and then they're gonna close, and I just pictured, did they, did Paul's eyes meet any of them? Let Paul wave. <laughs> yeah, that's how I picture, picture a little. For me, I would have blown kisses, you know, because I, I just bring it up a notch, you know, and just like, bye. I, I, I'm just writing a letter to the Ephesians right now. Oh, man, all at, 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 at. Could Caesar's, could Caesar be as protected and safe as the Apostle Paul? 470 soldiers for one little Christian who's got a book. He's writing a book, and he's proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The letter, the letter's pretty good. It's pretty honest until he talks about his role because he's writing to a superior. So here's what he says. Uh, Your excellent, excellence, this man, was in the process of being beaten to death when I found out he was a Roman citizen, I came to his rescue. What a lie. <laughs> Here's how it happened. Let me remind you. There was this guy, 
getting beaten half to death. We pulled him out. I thought he was an Egyptian terrorist. So I put him in chains twice, and then I stretched him out because I was going to torture him to death. He's a Roman citizen. Then I found out that he's a Roman citizen, and we all panicked a little bit. <laughs> we all pulled back. We took the chains off. We got the flogging went away, and suddenly we were using please and thank you a lot more, and we called him Mr. You know, yeah. So once we found out he was a Roman citizen, uh, we treated him much better. And then onward. In the letter, it's pretty good after that. But he doesn't tell the truth because what? This is a boss. So he wants to look good, right? So we treated him pretty well. Uh, yeah, after you found out. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says this, because in the letter, the key thing and what I want to close with, he says... This man, I've evaluated this guy. He's done nothing wrong. He's clean. He's innocent. He doesn't deserve death, let alone being in jail. Nothing. The F.F. Bruce. One of Luke's prime motives in writing his twofold history, Luke and Acts, is to demonstrate that there's no substance in the charges of rebellion brought not only against Paul, but also of Christ and Christians in general. The competent, Secular judges had repeatedly confirmed throughout Acts the innocence of the Christian movement and the Christian missionaries in respect to Roman law. Constantly. Pontius Pilate, six times. I find no fault with him. I've examined him. He's innocent, too. Number three, I find no fault with him. Let me flog him and give him back to you. Three, I find no fault. Four, I find no fault. Five, I find no fault with this man. Six, I've examined him. He's innocent. Why? The gospel gets cleared in Corinth in, in a court of law constantly. Here's the answer. The Christians are not the problem. Christianity is not a crime. It's God's way to save. It should not be criminalized. There should be no, there's no cause for hostility. And that is what it closes with. Next week, what's going to happen, we're going to see what happens when they arrive at the palace, how the case is tried, and the most amazing response from Governor Felix, that's next week. But I do want to show you verse 35. The Greek word for where Paul is staying is in the house of Herod. Now, Herod had built a palace. We, we were there, stood there in Caesarea at the remains. Herod didn't get to enjoy his beautiful, luxurious palace because in Acts chapter 12, he came out in the, in the amphitheater and said, oh, aren't I great? And he died right there. And it says, and, and, and he was eaten by worms. I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible says. He didn't get to go back to the palace. You know who did? The apostle Paul will live in Herod's palace. Not so much a prisoner because he's a Roman. No chains. He gets visitors. He has rights, really good ones. So he's got nice accommodations, Good food, 
ample lighting, a nice desk, and a good pen. <laughs> and he's going to sit there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, would you like uh, an, another glass of water? Oh, no, thank you. I'm good. Verse 1. <laughs> Herod's palace supplied by Rome as he's now going to wait in delays two years to finally get on boat and go to Rome where all of Acts is about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this beautiful life. Lord, we don't mind that we identify with you. It's just evidence that we truly are saved. The world's hostility and rejection of us encourages us that we have genuinely found Christ in eternal life. And for that, we give you thanks. And just ask for your blessing now as we close our service with thoughts about your word. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. I'm always pretty encouraged when there's pushback. Because I always feel like, wow, I, I, I really got saved, especially when I was on the other side, you know, as most of us were. We were on the other side, responding the way they're responding now to us. It just shows, wow, something happened to me. This is real. That's awesome. You know, Vanessa, I'm going to take a chance here. You want to come up here and just, yeah, come on up here. Yeah, she nodded, yes. <laughs> this is your new sister in the Lord. <laughs> you want to say anything? This. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, all right. I'm really happy to be here. Hold on. I'm just, I'm really happy to be here. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Um, what, how can we pray for you? I'm struggling a lot um, at home. Uh, like he said, my, my family, um, everyone I know is against Christianity. And you can, I'm, you, you're, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're among friends. <laughs> Um, and when I was 16, I found God first, and um, my parents gave me some books to talk me out of it, and I just had a really bad experience with that, and here I am again, and I didn't think I'd come back, so I'm really, just really thankful to God, um, but I am, I, if you could just pray for me to find a way to, um, to live this life, Without, um, without having to completely run away from, from everything and everyone. And even if I do have to run away from all of those people, I need to find a way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel stuck, so I need help. <laughs> One day at a time, God will show you how to live the Christian life. And when we do all things in love, and we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. And you might be surprised by some of their reactions. Amen? Amen. All right. And with hundreds of people praying for you, you got this. <laughs> Let's pray for Vanessa.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you opened Vanessa's heart and that, Lord, you, you were drawing her during her high school days. And Lord, and years later now, she's yielded her life to you. And we just pray that you'd fill her with the Holy Spirit as you have been. And now give her the courage and the words to just be who she is, who, you're be, who she's becoming as uh, her faith in you draws her to walk with you and to obey you and to live for you. Just give her the wisdom she needs. And she's saying she's stuck, so we pray that you unstick her in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you. All right. Thank you. All right, church. So don't forget, we have prayer at the cross. And if not, we'll see you uh, Wednesday night or next Sunday. Hey, we're talking about Elijah on Wednesday nights. So if you're interested, come on by. If not, God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.